We are the existentialists. Four existential psychotherapists invite you to join us in a dialogue about what it means to live an existentially tuned life. Your hosts are Xavier Williams, therapist in Vancouver, Canada. Janelle Dresner, therapist in Edmonton, Canada. Chelsea Stenner, therapist in South Surrey, Canada. And Mihaela Lounano, therapist in Vancouver, Canada. Hello and welcome to episode six of season two of the Existentialist podcast. Um, today we're going to be talking about uh, change and encountering change to continue with the uh, overarching theme of our, our second season. Um, change in, in, in all its forms, uh, welcome change, unwelcome change, uh, ones we've chosen, change we haven't chosen, uh, change in, in, in its various forms, how how it happens, how we deal with it, um, and uh, and really probably how to deal with it better. I'm sure there's many, many of us, many listeners, many clients that we've had that uh, are not so comfortable with change, I think is probably the, the best way of putting it. It brings up uh, things like the unknown and and risk. And um, and uh, as humans, we, we tend to prefer not to change, I would suggest, on average. Yeah, thank you, Sav. And it, it seems to me like a very uh, timely topic, given that uh, <laughs> we've been forced to uh, face lots of changes over this past year with the pandemic. And like even if we didn't like it or we tried to resist it, we still had to kind of um, adjust to very um, to changing circumstances. And yeah, I agree with you that it elicits change elicits usually fear, anxieties, questions, doubts, disorientation. But for some of us, it's also exciting and creative. Yeah, absolutely. The, the I'm, uh, I um, I'm reminded of a uh, a curse. Uh, it was told to me as a Chinese curse. I don't know if it is. It's but that was um, may you live in interesting times, and uh, kind of you know, the subtext being about you know may your life be full of change, uh, as a kind of a. A, a bit of a threatening, difficult uh, situation, and and I remember hearing that and thinking, "Wow, what a wonderful thing to live in interesting times." Until COVID happened, and then I, <laughs> I think I started to review what I, uh, you know, I was like, "Well, maybe, maybe, maybe that much change or is is not as as uh, fun as uh, I might have imagined." So I wonder if it's uh, helpful for uh, the listeners and for ourselves to kind of talk about different kinds of change that we encounter, because I guess our responses also depend on if the change is sudden and quite dramatic, if it's um, outside out of control uh, completely, right? Like with the pandemic, like we, we kind of had to find a way to, to respond to change, mm -hmm. or if it's a massive change versus a, you know, a smaller change, if it's desired or not and or shocking and also if it comes through i don't know loss a developmental crisis other kind of crisis or if it's uh, more about uh, i want to change because i want to grow and learn and so i, I think that uh, maybe it's helpful to start with what kind of changes have we encountered and also what do we see in our clients 
And with that too, I think it's also important to bring up like the the changes that we experience maybe internally as we evolve and change as persons over time, um, as well as those changes that we encounter on the outside, um, that it can also be, um, it can be dual, that something can impact us from the outside that, that requires perhaps or invites a change on the inside and then vice versa, something might be changing internally for me that then also begs a change in in my world or my relationships as well. Yeah, that, that's uh, true. And sometimes we don't even know that we changed. Like talking about these internal changes and uh, the change is happening and then at a certain point I realize, oh, wow, I didn't realize that I don't like that anymore or I realize that I don't do that anymore or um, someone else I haven't met in a long time and I meet again, they reflect some changes, either, you know, in terms of appearance, but also maybe in terms of, I don't know, preferences or uh, how they perceive me. So sometimes uh, no, I think not all changes are um, done in full awareness. We are always fully conscious that change is happening. And for me, I tend to believe that there is always change happening and we are not the same from second to second, day to day. But I think we don't have capacity to really notice those changes until they accumulate. Yeah, I mean, it, it kind of um, uh, brings up the that idea of always becoming, mm-hmm. right? We're always changing. And we kind of know this um, uh, just from growing up, you know, as we as we literally grow, we we change on an almost imperceptible basis. Certainly, you know, you know that with kids, right? You can... You see your kid grow, and then people who haven't seen them sees sees them from tiny to tall. And uh, you know, I just saw your daughter now, and I haven't seen her in six years, and just a whole different person. <laughs> um, but even just uh, ourselves as well, I think I think you're right. Just how we interact with the world, how we experience the world. I know every time I go home to South Africa, I I, I can. That's probably when I notice my changing the most. Um, I noticed my interactions with my family and with my interactions with my friends, the kinds of things I want to do, the things that I, you know, that I've missed and the things that I really don't care for anymore. Um, but yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd go with you that a lot of it is is imperceptible. And I really like what you said about connecting the becoming with change, that it's, um, it's always there. It's essential to who we are, our existence. It's always changing always becoming i also thinking like another measure to change is when you look at photos from the past <laughs> especially from childhood or you know teenage years and it's kind of like oh wow it's i mean we recognize ourselves as being the same person at the same time we also notice the changes and with children like uh, you mentioned my daughter but like i think they are also a measure or a mirror to our changes right because they grow and then we realize my goodness, 19 years have passed. And who have I become in those 19 years? And I think in that sense, it's good to reflect on this, to take time to reflect on this change and becoming. It sounds like, too, part of what we're saying is that it's this imperceptible and perhaps unconscious process that happens. Um, And so I think that's also interesting just in the context of therapy when a lot of people are coming with the purpose of trying to change um, and how I know you said at the beginning here Zav that you think you know a lot of people don't really change a whole lot or it's hard to change um, 
And so I, I'm also interested in maybe the the prerequisites to changing personally or what makes us kind of change imperceptibly versus those conscious changes that we strive for. Yeah, um, that's an interesting thing you, you bring up there, Chelsea. And I think that partly kind of one of our, I think our jobs as therapists is to almost um, observe those changes. So I, I find myself often saying to clients, you know, but do you remember where you were? where we started out and, and, and how you've, you know, and you used to do X, Y, and Z. You know, I have one client that who for the first six months, uh, we didn't really say anything. There was basically silence it was incredibly difficult. And now I'm, I'm sure she'll forgive me for saying this. Now she doesn't shut up. <laughs> right. And that's, I mean, that's an enormous change, but that you would don't see on a day to day basis. Um, uh, but perhaps, perhaps, kind of reflecting on the kind of on the inner and outer change. Perhaps inner change is that much more imperceptible, and outer change is that much more perceptible. Right? The physical, our bodies changing in puberty, but even kind of the outside world. Myla, you were talking about photographs. I think photographs have this wonderful thing of being able to they show us how we've changed, but they also remind us of the change in 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 time. Right? The change in the era. You just look at old actual photographs from the 70s and the 80s and and the way cameras were and 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 the geez, the clothes and you remember all these atmospheres and you can see all that arc of change yeah absolutely and that also can evoke um, nostalgia or humor sometimes or like there's some you know sweetness to those memories but going back to therapy and change like what uh, you saw in chelsea open up the discussion yeah i think what you said something about observing changes and reflecting them back to clients is really essential i was never really i was always suspicious a bit of the change oriented therapy in the sense that we have to produce change and we have to focus on um, creating change and that kind of obsession that we have to fabricate it almost right and i always um, for myself i i because I consider that change happens and becoming happens, it's simply how how can I unblock this process of becoming for each client? How can I support becoming who they are and living their life the way they want and the when they are, uh, the way they want and who they, as who they are, rather than saying, okay, let's make a plan for change. And this, these are the goals, and now let's see how we can go from A to B and B to C. So um, I I like the word observing. And also nurturing the person and that um, inner capacity of the person to, to unfold, to become. So that's, um, uh, that's how kind of I, I see change in, in therapy. And then change happens. But I don't think I, as a therapist, produce the change or create the change. So I'm, I always say that it's happening. It's happening even when it's not happening, apparently. It's happening. Yeah, I would. <coughs> I, I I I can definitely go with you on that, um, and and the, you know you you were talking about you know planning changes. Okay, let's change this and that, and it it brings up a strong resistance in me to, um, uh, uh, or, you know, particularly when you like, well, what what is the treatment plan? I mean, who knows? <laughs> it's often that you know sometimes it's relatively easy because it's a very specific thing that clients want to work on and. And sometimes you have a, a, an idea of a direction, but but people, I don't think people are so reducible to to such um, specific criteria and specific measurements. 
And maybe on average we can do that, but on an individual basis. And and, and in existential analysis, I mean, um, we do have quite a rigorous structure actually to to understand and also to promote um, you know each person capacity to become. Yeah, if we look at you know blockages, deficits. Um, lack of resources, like in again being in the world, relationships, being oneself, uh, meaning, future, meaningful activities. So we can always um, support clients specifically in these domains that we call fundamental motivation. So I guess in that sense, it's not like a blindly, you know, not knowing what we are doing, but actually uh, attuning to the um, uh, existential structures and conditions of each client's. Uh, existence and allowing them to yeah, to grow, to become, um, encouraging clients to respond to those fundamental questions of their existence, like can you be, do you like it, how would you like to be, who are you, can you be yourself, and, and so on. But definitely I don't see it like, okay, let's change, and let's, let's make a plan, right? But mostly like attuning to, to the person, the questions in their existence, their existential situation, and then I'm, change happens. Yeah, and I think it's interesting to, to unpack maybe what some of the blockages might be to change or the things that tend to perhaps like stunt change or hold change off. Um, I know just in, in clinical work and then also to some extent for myself sometimes there's like a fear of the unknown um, uh, because we, we tend to be creatures of habit and we like familiarity and so sometimes it's it's easier or more preferred or more comfortable to stay with what's familiar than venture into the unknown and I also think um, it requires a great deal of trust too in the structures of existence as well to be open to change there's kind of an element like I hear in clients all the time like I don't like change or you know when things don't go to plan it's really really scary for me um and so sometimes in the back of my mind I also wonder um about kind of the ability to trust Mm -hmm. in that as well Mm -hmm. Thank you, Chelsea. I wanted to comment on what you said about the comfort, like too much comfort. People, why would it work? Why would someone change <laughs> if they feel so comfortable? If, for example, I I know that there are programs that support people, you know, after accidents or injuries at work and all that, and this is absolutely fantastic that they exist. But sometimes I see a, <laughs> a lot of time after a long period of time of not engaging in a meaningful activity, you know, work or volunteer, whatever it is, it, people develop a sort of a, yeah, that's comfortable. That's somebody can take care of me. Like why, especially if they are middle age or like towards retirement, like why, why in the world would I want to change? Can I just not like keep going like that? There is so comfort, excessive comfort and uh, actually lack of stress. Because I know that uh, most of the time in therapy, it's like, oh, we have to remove stress, we have to distress people, we have to teach. But sometimes, lack of stress and lack of um, resistance and lack of, um, you know, challenge creates a, a state of, yeah, wha- why, why would I change? What, who in the right mind who feels cozy or comfortable, even if it's lukewarm, kind of, not necessarily meaningful, 
But I think that uh, the fear, yes, but also the excessive comfort and uh, kind of having all the needs uh, needs met. I would add to that too. Sometimes there can be a longing for what was as well, and it can we can't go back in time too. So there can be kind of a longing to stay put or to regress back to an earlier time or an earlier state um, when that time is is gone and there's been new development mm-hmm. absolutely I, I think the two of you have really kind of um, hit on two two major part of themes I think certainly um, that are pertinent today right I think one of the reasons that um, Certainly, you know, in in North America, I'd say, and probably to an extent Europe as well, is 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 that comfort with how things you know um, things generally work, right? And say in Canada, I know we can complain about whether the government takes too many taxes or whether they don't res- they restrict this thing too much, whatever. You, but most most things work here. Most things function, and. On an everyday basis, yeah, you're unlikely to suffer too much distress, um, and and so when something like COVID comes along, you know, where it's literally it's it's a it's a I don't know where the French word's coming up, um, uh, uh, bouver- uh, the French word that's coming up is bouleversé. It's 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 literally turned on its head. Um, it, it becomes incredibly unsettling. Um, and I and I contrast that to you know to growing up in South Africa where um, yeah, South Africa is a uh, let's call it a moderately volatile con- country. It's not the most volatile, but it's you know and and change is kind of uh, order of the day. And so uh, maybe, you know so I don't think South Africa has necessarily responded to COVID in the best way in terms of how the government functions. But I suspect people have had a an easier time of it. Because changes, they're more used to it, mm-hmm. uh, and what have you. And we know this kind of also in terms of kind of increasing levels of anxiety amongst children, right? Where where we have um, uh, where there's a lot of kind of uh, taking care of children, even kind of accusations of putting children in cotton wool and what have you, and then the emergence of the kind of the the more free range kind of style parenting that. Um, that, that that clashes, you know. There's stories about um, uh, kids who who go from their house across the road to the park and play, and 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 social services has been called because they weren't supervised by an adult, um, and and how children are maybe not ad- experiencing enough change, enough stress to learn how to deal with it. Yeah, as you know me from previous episodes, I can go on and on ad nauseum about criticizing <laughs> the cotton wool. Uh, culture and the safety and all that that um, that really um, I think it, what that does it among many other things is to tame our instincts <laughs> really and our capacity to respond to change it's kind of brainwashing very early on the fact that the world is safe and we are safe and stable not not much will happen it will and it will happen within certain parameters and they are under control of the government or whatever we picture as uh, having control over this. And I guess that really destroys, the first of all, the immunity to, <laughs> to develop immunity to stressful situation and crisis, mm-hmm. like uh, COVID was. 
And also it uh, it tames our capacities and instincts. Like it reminds me of when we came from Romania, we brought a cat with us, right? And the cat was our door cat, right? But then had <laughs> okay had an accident, and of course you know, it's nice to have an outdoor cat in Canada because yes, for various reasons. So then uh, the cat became uh, the indoor cat and domesticated, and you can see you could see that cat not being an animal, the the wild animal, the instinct that it was. So when we used to take the cat, cat out, right, like with on the leash, believe it or not, right, and <laughs> it's just, just ridiculous. I mean, you could see he was scared of everything, and this cat before uh, it was kind of tamed and kept safe inside, he was just wandering nights and days and, you know, doing his thing, lots of inappropriate things. And and then coming home and feeding and going back into the wild, it was this kind of like you know, and you can see on his body and you know how um, you know high, uh, wild and fit he was. And then after he was in a safe environment for too long, <laughs> basically it was like when we took him out, he was uh, startled by the slightest noise. So I guess um, well within proportions, like it's a it's an analogy. If we don't yeah, if we don't have challenges, if we live in cotton wool it's <laughs> unlikely we can do well with change you've hit on a pet a, a little bit of a pet peeve of mine um i never knew there was such a thing as an indoor cat until i moved to canada um i've had cats all my life and cats are cats they're not indoors or outdoors they're just cats um apparently not <laughs> not yet as if to kind of almost reinforce the point right you know uh I, uh, yeah, I'm, I, next, I, next time I go back to South Africa, I'm going to use the phrase indoor cat and see what happens. <laughs> oh, yes. Can you please record? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I bet in Romania too. Like, it'll be like, what? Like, indoor? Like, what is that? Yeah. But that's, I mean, that's a kind of a metaphor. Like, when we become too indoorsy, <laughs> too, too um, separated from some, you know, instinctive capacity to deal with change and with life become quite fragile i i think that's a, a very good um uh, phrase to use that instinctive capacity and and maybe this is is worth kind of you know shifting a bit onto uh, what are the things that that we need in order to to be able to handle change to deal with change to encounter change and not avoid it and run away from it and and i think that yeah that kind of instinctive um, uh, a trust. I think Chelsea, you said the word earlier. Trust that uh, maybe not so much that the world is safe, but that I will be able to handle it. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll figure it out. And I know this in terms of, um, uh, say, navigating. Well, it, it's it's a. Uh, I quite like that. I I have a good mind for it, a special thing. And even for cities that I visited 10, 20 years ago, I can still navigate in them. And Mostly, it's not. It's not because I'm. I have this kind of you know human compass in my head. It's because I try. <laughs> it's because I'm like, well, in this kind of you know, typically when you have a train station, there's this and this ne- nearby. So I I kind of have this trust in that. And actually, reminds me of being in in Bucharest mm-hmm. twenty odd years ago, and getting lost, um, and somehow finding my way back in the dark. Yeah, surrounded by hundreds of thousands of stray dogs, which is a bit oh, of an issue yes. apparently. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but it isn't any skill that I had. It would, you know, I didn't have the compass. It was a uh, yeah, this kind of. I kind of have this sense that that 
I'll be able to figure it out mm-hmm. and, and, and figure out a way. Yeah. But, but I would say that you had something that uh, uh, children these days don't have. Like going back to your example is the playground. Someone goes to the playground, social services come. You knew from your experience that next to a station there are certain other things. You knew because you are allowed to go and explore and you form the map, an inner map in your head. I mean, some kids don't know even, <laughs> you know, that was funny, like funny and tragic. Like when, uh, I think it was my in my daughter's school, right, and they were leaving, talking about food and, you know, animals and ethics and all that. And some children said, well, the, the beef, like uh, the cow is what it's a safe way. Like <laughs> the package, Safeway. You mean and it comes from the grocery store? Yes, <laughs> like it's and the cheese comes from Safeway, right? So, so it's like kind of like it's a complete disconnect from the nature, from the bigger picture. So yeah, you didn't have the map or uh, special powers, but you had something essential. You were able to to orient yourself. You had some orientation there because you were in the world, not in the cotton wool. There's a willingness and an ability to explore and a freedom to explore and see what is there. But I also think, too, often if there's an upcoming change or it's actually it comes up more in the context of like risk. So just an example I'll use with a client that I'm hearing quite a bit right now is around online dating and, you know, well, what if I put myself out there and I get broken up with and it's tragic and we explore that. But one of my kind of follow-up questions to that is I invite clients to, to consider. So yeah, if that were to happen, because it is one of the risks, if that were to happen, do you think that you could accompany yourself through that? Do you think that you could, see yourself through mm-hmm. one of those experiences mm-hmm. and so that also can just bring about a little bit of a shift especially to just if we kind of observe maybe some of the things that they've been through before and go okay somehow you found a way mm-hmm. and you're here and do you think you could do it again oh yeah Thank you, Chelsea, because I also thank you for mentioning that. I also wanted to come back to uh, Saf's comment about the trust that I will make it work and I will be okay. But equally important is what you just said, that maybe I will not be okay. Maybe things will not work out the way I am. And the question is, can I be with myself in that? Also, can I even suffer a failure or maybe even risk even more in, in my life? Am I able to sustain that and still be with myself? Or is it uh, unbearable that I'm going to just die or be destroyed? Because I think many times people are, I don't know if they are scared of change per se. I think they are scared of things not working out the way they want, not getting what they want. It's like, oh, there is a change coming up. Like I date and I want to find the perfect person for me and all that. And geez, it must work in a certain way. So I guess the fear of change comes also from being very set sometimes in our ways. It has to be in a certain way. And this is unbearable. It's not a change itself. But I guess this I didn't get in my way. That's a really good point. But sometimes it, there might be like a rigidity or a fixation on, okay, this is how it has to be. Mm-hmm. And it's intolerable mm-hmm. if it's not this. Yeah, so, so a, a fear of change is 
can sometimes not actually be a fear of change, but an inability to accept um, uh, uh, something that is different to how I wanted it, uh, or or to exp- or indeed to experience that emotion. Yeah, I agree. It's the fear of uh, tolerating even the the unpleasant or the things not to work the way I want to work. And I think uh, our culture also does a wonderful, in quotation marks, job at uh, creating this uh, false expectation that we can make things work the way we want, that usually we get what we want, that the way we want. And there is not much lack or experience of a lack or a need, right? So I guess that also creates some false expectations there that things must work out. And if they don't, like, I cannot deal with that. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and that <coughs> I think <coughs> um, br- brings up a thing that I wanted to bring up you know, from the start of the episode of, of um, I'd suggest that the world is in permanent state of change. I do. I mean, yeah, I'd say it's it's its default position. Uh, one of my favorite things, and this is kind of maybe a, a jumping ahead in terms of ways to deal with uh, help, uh, kind of uh, better deal with change. But one of my favorite things to do is go on YouTube and and watch a, a time lapse video of the map of Europe and the borders changing over time from like I don't know, for let's say from one BC. BC, uh, no, uh, yeah, BC, and then going forward, and you'll see how frequently the borders of Europe change. Like it's all the time, all the time, all the time, all the time, except for nineteen forty-five till the present, really. You know, and the Eastern Bloc is you know a bit of an exception, but mostly. So for save for what's that, sixty, seventy years, borders of in Europe have changed almost yearly. Like just and and so I find actually in, uh, contrary to kind of wanting to live in the past, but looking at the past to kind of see how change is such a big deal, part of life, mm-hmm. to kind of take that perspective and and apply it to the present and the future. I agree, and I think yeah, again it comes back to therapy too. Change is not a problem, right? Because <laughs> change is happening. But how to observe that and how to how to become part of it, how to embrace it, how to change <laughs> with it, so to speak. So it's not so much about how we cause change, how we provoke change, how we uh, make change happen, but how can we actually release some of these rigid expectations that we have in, in our minds about how things should be in order to attune to what is. And, and then I also want to, um, for the sake of being, um, you know, fair here like that um, yeah so there are distorted expectations culture doesn't help and all that and sometimes there are there is also lack of resources and capacity for some people and or loss of capacity like I, I'm talking again people who had accidents or who m- suffer from a bad addiction they lost everything and now they are homeless on the street so there are some dire circumstances in which people lose uh, pretty much all their structures and um, who they were before a certain event, that um, that capacity. And I guess in that sense, of course, they need support and external support and resource to to come back into the flow of life and to regain some capacity. So sometimes the lack of capacity and resources um, also uh, prevent change. But I think lots of, um, on the other hand, lots of what I see in, in therapy and what we see in therapy is 
comes down to not accepting what is, wanting things to be in a certain way, and not not tuning into the process, basically, and to recognize that there is a, a naturally or occurring change and becoming. Wh- what about the ones um, uh, we talk about, like what prevents change and how we resist to change? Um, does uh, any of us have uh, good experiences with change and change that elicits maybe excitement or joy or creativity? And change that we want and we we encourage or welcome? Um, I, I suppose the, the 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 one that comes up for me is is adventure, mm-hmm. right? To me, ad- ad- adventure is almost choosing change, choosing to leave a, a home, choosing to leave a country, choosing to, you know, not everybody gets that choice. Some people are kind of forced, and some some people are choose in because it's it's a dire situation, but. But it's it's certainly certainly from a personal point of view, it's it it tends to be that adventurous thing tends to be something that brings me enjoyment, um, whether it's pure kind of joy and happiness, or whether it's simply a challenge and fulfillment, or or indeed, uh, change uh, trying something and failing at it that I don't like as 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 a thing in the moment, but in retrospect I can look back and go okay. I got something out of that, for sure. I tend to also kind of embrace or even look forward to change as a new experience, as, um, yeah, to encounter something different, um, perhaps to grow as well. Um, for me, Yeah, so for me, I typically, like I don't resonate so much with being afraid of change but i've i've found that in the changes i have accumulated so far in my life um it's kept things really interesting and i've been able to discover new things about myself new things about life um so it's been something that i think has become easier to trust over time even if it's a change that I might not necessarily like um I know that like in a lot of um a lot of philosophy and in eastern medicine as well they'll talk about stagnation and things getting stuck where there's no flow or movement and so um so I I I don't know that's been important in my own life is to go okay where is the movement happening? Where is the flow happening? Um, am I in it or am I stuck? I like it so much how you phrase that, Chelsea. Like, where is the movement happening? Where do I detect a, a dynamic, a flow within myself? And the desire, we talk about desire in another episode, but what draws me, what moves me? Because sometimes change, uh, or maybe the best change happens because we have a desire, we are drawn, we, we want something, right? And maybe we fail initially, we we want it. It's not just out of dire need. And when I, um, you know, I'm cornered, <laughs> when I'm with my back at the wall, so to speak, and then or I hit the rock bottom, that I said, oh, maybe I should change, or maybe I should do something differently. But sometimes it's also possible that if we ask that great question, like, what's moving within me? Where is movement? Where do I feel maybe the need to move and to change? Then maybe we discover a value and an attraction, a desire. So that's that's really important to highlight. And there was something else that I forgot that you said. 
about the ch- oh you said sub you started that sometimes even the the changes that uh, we look at over time and say wow that was great that uh, that happened to me initially <laughs> evoke like a sense of maybe failure or I'm incapable or I kind of doubt myself or I'm afraid of how I'm going to deal with this new situation. So in the moment, they seem kind of like, oh, I'm not too sure. But they end up being uh, quite important in our lives and who we became. So also not to judge us only in the moment and to have a bit of a perspective. And I guess that comes to trust. Like to trust that things may get better. Yeah, and that perhaps that that the struggle may be worth it, even if the struggle doesn't lead you to the goal that that you were attempting, but that the struggle itself yields something. It 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 provides you something. You know, I don't know why this is coming to my mind, but um, uh, I don't know if you have you uh, the two of you seen the movie um, Free Solo. The the that one about the the, the yeah. Alex Honnold, the rock climber who free solos El Capitan, which is one of the most incredible things. Um, uh, but um, you know, he's brilliant. But even for for us mere mortals who who maybe would try rock climbing, you might not be able to climb such a high mountain and you may fall and fall and fall or you may get calluses or cuts or or even break a bone or something and yet through that struggle there is a change that will occur and it's not the achievement of the goal that makes the change right the change as we were saying from the beginning right the change will be occurring all the time you're having a new experience um and uh, perhaps you know we've talked about how how kind of maybe slightly more positively about change but uh, perhaps change needs to have struggle necessarily and even those imperceptible changes right of growth of of changes in personality or what have you that there is a struggle against right you there is a resistance and maybe that's kind of uh, kind of to tie it to the encountering change right maybe this is where we encounter change is in that struggle in uh, you know, to whatever intensity. I agree with you 100%. It ties with what you talked about uh, earlier about the instinct to deal with the world, that we had to rub against it a bit and for the world to rub against us. And yes, I like the encountering change, meaning that the change ask, asks us to kind of mobilize our resources to struggle a bit, to stand up. Like we said that existence is to rise and to stand uh, up, right? Is this is I think this is what change is asking us and this is why it's important to tune into that question, what change is needed, where is the movement? Because I think life only happens when there is change. Once we stagnate, I think we're dead emotionally or mentally. So that uh, prolonged stability that sometimes is so coveted in, in our society, actually it's a form of death. Like it's a it's stagnation to go back to that term, Chelsea. And I think life happens really only when there is change. And if there is no change, we're dead. And I mean, literally, we are when we die. Our nails stop growing, hair stops growing. Right? It's correct. Uh, uh, <laughs> like we see the change. Yeah. I think uh, actually, I think some things still keep growing a little before a little bit. Um, I, I've, I'm not. You know, don't quote me on that. But um, but yeah, I- effectively, yes, we we, we cease. We cease to exist. We cease to change. Th- that is it. Um, 
we, we've hit the end of the road. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, so, so let's not stop at the end of the road. Let <laughs> me ask a question <laughs> that is a bit, um, I think, challenging or provocative. Like uh, in therapy, coming back to our um, to therapy, our, what we are doing, do, do you think that clients come to therapy to change? What have you noticed? Do, do they come and say, I want to change? And then even more controversial question, is change real and possible in therapy or through therapy? I'm going to say, yes, it is possible. I, um, I, although I think sometimes change is right and sometimes it's not. And so I've had the experience with with clients and for myself where I've I've got to witness that change because it was ripe or it was close to coming to fruition. Um, but I think a lot of the times too we might be trying to fast track change when we really haven't encountered enough in order to be able to do that or there's still things to be explored or kind of that rubbing against like you talked about um, that yeah maybe it maybe it's not quite right yeah <clears throat> i think you you raised some some good uh, points there chelsea uh, maybe sometimes clients are not ready you know in that classic kind of phrase of not ready ready for change and but and maybe that's not what they need in that in those moments it's not um, you know, we don't have to just be doing change, but certainly, I have a lot of clients who who you know when they first come and see me will say, well, why you know, I'm, what is it that brought you? And and a phrase that comes out a lot is, I'm stuck, right? And this touches on the flow that you were talking, the lack of flow that you're talking about, or the the not standing up, the haven't been able to respond. Um, but certainly the um, uh, do clients come to change? I th- I think I hope I my hope is that they do change, mm-hmm. uh, not in a specific way, but that that they they change in in some form in some positive way, um, and I th- I think we you know we've touched on on kind of providing the resources or helping structure that or guiding, um, but certainly. I would. I mean, I think on my website, even uh, a little bit more marketing than, <laughs> than I'd like to admit. But you know, there's this idea of transforming, mm-hmm. uh, and maybe, and 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 maybe that's that that's actually a real thing. It's not so much change in kind of uh, in my undergrad. We we talked about um, the difference between an alternation and a conversion. You know, not a complete three hundred and sixty, but sometimes change is just a a slight correction, a slight course correction. And a lot of people are almost on the path that they want to be on. And it's a bit of a nudge. Um, or, or, or it's a realization rather than a complete uh, 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 reconception of how the world is and who they are, I'd suggest. Yeah, I would agree with what you said and Chelsea said. And I think that brings up, for me, the point of uh, reflecting on what, uh, how we define change in therapy, right? And what do we, what is change, right? Like because there are, as you said, so many ways in which uh, people are changing. And again, what you said about your clients, which is also lots of the time my case when they say I'm stuck, 
or I don't know what to do. I don't know what to go right from here. And that idea of stuckness, to me, it's an indicator that they left the flow of life, that they left that process of becoming. And the point is not so much, okay, let's come up with a plan and how can you sleep better and how can you eat better and all that, because that's also very helpful. But actually, how how can we reconnect you with yourself and with, with life? Where did you lose that connection? How did you get stuck? And I think that's uh, probably the... And then the change, I mean, getting back into the flow kind of comes from there. So I think what, uh, and I, I know you, you rolled your eyes when I asked the question, what is change in therapy? Because it's a huge question, and I don't think it's properly answered yet after many books have been written about it. But like in, in at least in existential therapy, I would say that definitely we are not looking for reducing symptoms. Also, I would say that it's great to, to reduce suffering as much as possible, right? But um, not to take it away completely. But not um, it's not a change in the sense, okay, now I'm behaviorally behaving better and I'm, I'm doing things better. But it's also like, what moves you? Again, change is movement. Where, uh, where, where you don't feel that something is moving you, where are you stuck? And how to get back in the flow? I think that's kind of the, the change process. And I guess for that, again, in existential analysis, again, we come back to what is blocking the person, the, which is essentially movement and uh, a dynamic has a dynamic quality. Like, is it that I don't have structures and resources? Is it that I don't connect with life? I don't know what I like, what I enjoy. Is it that I don't know myself at all? And I cannot be myself? Or is it that I'm not doing anything? And of course I don't sleep at night and I have insomnia. If I, I have no meaningful activity in my life, yeah, there is not much change going to happen because you do sleep hygiene. Sorry to say that. <laughs> you know, some people are passionate about this, but if there is no meaningful activity and no, um, they don't consume resources and don't invest, how? why would you need to sleep? So yeah, so I guess uh, existential therapy also view on changes a bit different than definitely other kinds of therapies, like especially cognitive behavioral or dialectical behavioral who are looking, I think, for much more specific changes, behavioral or cognitive. But for me, it's more like, how, how do you live and what moves you? And uh, where did you depart from the flow of life? Yeah, I, I really like that, that, that where did you depart from the flow of life? Um, and and uh, certainly, precise, precisely because we, we spend, what, at most an hour a week with our clients, um, yeah, mo they live most of their lives outside of therapy. And so the idea that we could change their lives that we could transform how everything exists is, is a pipe dream, frankly. Um, and but if 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 we could at least get them to 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 help them reconnect to the flow of life, whatever that life might be, and however that might take place, but to kind of put them back in, I, I just keep on imagining a river, right? Just kind of getting off the bank and then going with the river, and that river may go anywhere. It may go over rapids, over a waterfall. It might be turbulent. But in a flow, that I think that would be a, 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 a major achievement, um, which, again, is often very imperceptible, at least uh, certainly in, in a specific session in a, and certainly not in a handful of sessions. But over time, over time it's, it's, it's nice to see. Um, it's, it's really nice to see. And that really brings, um, brings to the fore the idea of taking time and you know the 
because the tension between short-term therapies or six sessions, EAP, whatever programs, and uh, versus like taking the time in which change can actually become visible. So I think that's also an essential part what you touched upon that it takes time. It cannot be. I mean, yeah, we can put together a plan in succession and say, okay, this is you go to bed at the same time, you get up at the same time, you eat this thing, you walk twice per day, and then you you try to reach out to a friend every day and uh, reconnect with friends and be more social. Okay, wonderful. But really, I mean, and then after after that is done, there is still he's still stuck. Some people are still stuck, and some people can actually benefit greatly and <laughs> get back into the river. And sometimes I might say that sometimes I feel the need to almost like to, to push them back into the river. <laughs> I mean, it's so much resistance <laughs> and so much attachment to the shore in spite of the suffering, right? That it's almost like, okay, just, just go. And too much empathy and cuddling, therapeutic cuddling. Yes. It's, it's, <laughs> it's doing more damage. Well, I think it's a balance too, right? Because people can also get really overwhelmed by too much um, or yeah, too much too soon. Mm -hmm. And so I think, yeah, the balance is important, like really being open to meeting the client where they're at to really seek to understand um, and to start to invite that encounter with themselves and with life so that life can start to grow and flow again. Yeah, yeah. I, I used to agree with meeting the client where they are at, and I know it's such a standard <laughs> phrase that we repeat over and over. I'm not too sure. I mean, sometimes maybe, but sometimes it's good to kind of be ahead. I, I think always it's sure. a good idea to be ahead, but as you said, not to drag them or to forcefully push them into something. But I think it's important not to just meet them where they are at, but actually to, to have a sense of what would be good for them to be at like otherwise we can just simply collide and uh, yeah we uh, exaggerate a bit with attuning too much excessive attunement is not conducive to getting back into the river for sure and that's where you know some element of maybe light confrontation is important or light pushing um like you said i just i know that change is really difficult when um, when maybe there's a lot of change that needs to happen or there's a lot of things to do, like to give somebody a wellness plan like that, you know, like eat these nutritious foods, go to bed at this time, drink this much water in a day, make sure you're socializing. It can be really, really overwhelming. So I guess I, I say meet the client where they're at in terms of go where they are, but then encourage the movement and encourage the movement, you know, in a in a capacity that the client can engage in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a nice way of putting it, Chelsea, to 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 <coughs> kind of you know engage the client where they are, but then you know in that capacity. Um, it's something I think for for listeners to to maybe also um, take on board and 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 something that I try and remind myself and sometimes I have to be reminded of that small change is can be incredible as well, right? So the fact that you know I had one I have one client who um, would frequently come late to session and then started coming on time. 
Right. We, we nothing else. We haven't resolved his relationship with his family. We haven't resolved anything else. But he comes on time. Yeah. Okay. So we might go. Well, this is you know normal. It's respectful. You should come on time for your sessions. But th- it's a tiny thing, but indicate in, in, indicate indicative of actually quite a major change. Um, and and. Uh, so you know, I have to remind myself sometimes. You know, when, particularly when we have clients who that we feel are stuck, um, and that they have changed. But also for, for listeners to kind of think about, you know, well, where are the th- the the things that maybe I haven't changed entirely. Maybe I haven't become a, a, a fantastic sleeper, or I haven't done all the exercises that I want. But I have started going to bed half an hour earlier, and nothing else. Nothing else in my life has changed but that. And that that becomes actually rather remarkable, and certainly as a large stepping stone. Yeah, yeah, I agree fully, absolutely. It's uh, usually the these small changes can lead to much more significant ones. But I guess when one starts coming on time and goes to bed one hour later, they are already back in the river, or at least they are putting the toes, you know, the the feet in the river. They are getting the feet wet. They are not uh, holding on to the shore. Yeah. So how how can we um, cultivate change? I mean, in a way that in in therapy and in our lives, in a way that uh, honors that balance between um, again understanding uh, where the client is at and um, honoring that, and even conveying well, it's great that you are holding on, even if you are on the shore and you stepped outside the river, but you are here, right? And honoring that, and at the same time, uh, not uh, remaining with them on the shore. Right. In that sense, I said, well, do I meet them on the shore or do I meet them on the shore and then say, let's go in the water? Right. So maybe that's the metaphor. How how do we do both? Like to to be on the shore wherever they are stuck. And at the same time, I think the point will be to be in the water. And then, of course, I have another question. Is it for everyone to get back in the water? Don't isn't that okay that some people remain on the shore? I mean, I I know in supervision, Sav, in our supervision, like we <laughs> we discussed about the clients who really don't mm-hmm. like nothing. It's the stuckness is so profound, and it's almost like um, a lack of vitality or a vital life force, right? That is not enough vitality or resources, and no matter how much external resources are given, like it's not happening. So I guess it's what. What do we do with that, and how do we not promote change, but um, help? After after all, we are in the helping position profession, so I think it's fine to say how do we help people to get back into swimming in the river of life. The the image that was coming up for me is like when you see um, like a, a toddler starting to walk. You know, it's you, you have your arms extended to them and come on, it's okay and try. And um, there's some scaffolding that happens. And so it's not to do the work for the client, but it's to create safety. It's to create support. It's to provide an environment in which somebody can start to take those steps. And I think trust is really really big in that and that's I think largely why the therapeutic relationship is known to be 
one of the most significant parts of change in therapy. Um, but there's, yeah, there's some scaffolding that the therapist can do for clients to help with that movement, to help encourage that growth. Yeah, uh, uh, absolutely, Charles. I think I think that's absolutely uh, one way of describing what, what what we're there to do, right? Mm-hmm. To provide a scaffolding, to to nudge, maybe to 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 point, to orient. I think um, uh, I think the, what you're referring to is is known in, uh, theoretically, Mahila. You can help us out here. This is Bronfenbrenner, isn't? It? You do oh, scaffolding, yeah, yeah, isn't yeah. it? That's yeah. Or, or, yeah? Yeah, and also another thing that came to mind when uh, you mentioned scaffolding was like Vygotsky. Oh, oh s- sorry, that's who it was. Yeah, it was either, what was yeah, one of them? The learning developmental psychologist. And I think I agree fully with scaffolding, but I think the scaffolding should be done using Vygotsky's concept uh, with the zone of proximal development in mind, especially as therapists, like not to scaffold on what is. Right now, I mean, to, to really anchor ourselves in what is, but always looking at what is the next thing possible for this client. And I don't mean just behaviorally go to bed one hour early in any in any aspect of their life. So to scaffold, but again, with the proximal development, what is the next step that is possible for them rather than colliding too much with their stage and then... You mean colluding? Colluding, yes, yeah, sorry. And then uh, creating too much safety. I think that's a problem too in therapy. Like as we say, well, we are so empathic, I understand you so well. And then from that, the client loves it and comes to <laughs> many times. But again, it's is that really good for them? Like not to come to therapy, but like to stay in that uh, cuddling stage. So I agree with scaffolding, but it's um, again in the zone of proximal development. Yeah, I, uh, yeah. I actually um, just what, what are we today? Saturday. Yesterday, I saw <laughs> I saw a client that. Um, uh, who who said she, that they, they they told their friends that um, whenever they come and see me, I, I I always put their problems front and center, and you know I confront them. And she said, "You always do this to me. You 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 um, you you take what I have and you and you you confront me with it straight away." Um, and and I knew I know what she was saying. I mean, it's exactly what I do in a lot of situations. But sometimes, you know, I might come out of session and wonder. I was like, was I a bit too harsh? Right and kind of, or or was I maybe pushing a little bit too, too soon, too much, too far, um, and uh, yeah, I suppose sometimes you never know. But uh, but but there is that. I I think that maybe part of a, of being an existential therapist and I, yeah. is that I remember Alfred Doctor Alfred Langley um, saying. Um, <laughs> phrase which probably I uh, hope won't lose his clients, but um, existential therapists are not nice, <laughs> and by that he meant yeah, we 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 do and we have to confront the the difficult things and say things that are maybe jarring or 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 just a little bit uncomfortable. Yeah, I agree, and I think that uh, maybe I you make me think made me think in terms of like a balance between you know holding and. Um, safety and confrontation and maybe the balance is a bit different with the existential therapy versus other therapies that may be also a a bit of an emphasis a different emphasis but i would i also trust the clients uh, most clients i should say that they have capacity to also uh, stand up and if i'm too harsh or they will say exactly how a client told you hey you always do this or some clients said oh yeah you are really 
very direct today or something like that. And I think I, it's okay to trust my client as a partner in this dialogue, right? That they, they are also have capacity. They are not babies. <laughs> they are not, I don't want to infantilize the client and say, I have to cuddle you and hold you and offer you safety because if they can make it in the world without us, because as you said, we only see them for one hour per week usually. I mean, they have capacities. They do have some capacities. And they can say, oops, that hurts. That's also, I remember my supervisor from my um, practicum, my master's degree, right? That said, well, they need to say, ouch, you have to have capacity to say that hurts. And if you don't, well, it will hurt you. And eventually you will develop that instinct to to stand up for yourself. So again, but maybe existentialism is a little bit more, uh, not confrontational, but more like uh, the therapist is coming into a more direct presence, and not direct presence, but simply presence and sharing, and maybe that creates the impression of confrontation. Without, I don't feel that I, I'm necessarily confrontational, I want to challenge, but like if I share something, I see this, and it's uncomfortable, well, it is what it is. Let's deal with it. And, and so, so maybe that's the the ultimate kind of um, recognition of change in a client is when they don't need us anymore. Oh, oh yes, you hit like a soft spot of mine. It's like yes, that's the best moment when someone doesn't need us and can fly and can say, oh, "Yeah, I'm I'm okay. I can do life. Mm-hmm. I know that I'm gonna hurt. I know that I'm gonna fail. I know that I'm gonna lose. I can do it." And I don't need you. Oh, that's beautiful. But I guess some people will accuse us, the two of us, at least, and I, that we are, um, you know, we don't like to be needed and we are avoidant and all that stuff. I don't know. I feel like we're excluding Chelsea from that too. <laughs> well, well, because Chelsea <laughs> didn't talk about these things, like with don't, not being needed, but maybe she would want to add something. I will often say to clients that, you know, my goal is to kind of essentially work myself out of a job right Um, or at least with them there will always be someone else needing help but that the client can learn to stand on their own and to to trust themselves and to go out in the world it's really important for that to develop Uh, uh, absolutely Uh, so uh, you know we've kind of um, uh, maybe fluttered in and out of various forms of changing and various forms of dealing with changing throughout the whole episode and um, and indeed not 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 necessarily followed a, a whole kind of structure of um, which kind of as we, we, we could you almost use that as a metaphor right conversations change all the time right and there's three of us and if there were four of us it would change as well and if there were two of us it would change in different ways but perhaps maybe I don't know if it, do you think um, for for you know t- trying to be kind of you know twenty first century and a bit catchy, um, could we could we each I don't know say something about change that we think my listeners might 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 be able to 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 take on or, or or mull over and kind of that that might be helpful for them for in regards to change. Yeah, even if it, that's a repetition, like um, maybe two things that change is omnipresent. So it's you want it or not, <laughs> it's there. So it's a, it's merely a matter of attunement to it, to recognize it, and also to to open up to it and to embrace it rather than resisting and wanting to 
put the reality back into our own structures, but actually opening up to, to reality. And But change is a guarantee. We don't need to look for it because <laughs> it's right there. And the second thing is uh, that uh, change means life. And if we don't change, we die in on many levels, not just physically. So um, in that sense, it's also an encouragement to to see change as an embracement of life and uh, promoting life and living life. And yes, we'll die and we'll fail and we'll lose. And this is it. And just to add to that, um, I would say to to ask yourself as well, where where you detect movement in your life and where um, where it might feel stagnant. Um, and to just kind of check in and notice different arenas of life, both externally and internally, where perhaps there could be more movement and where you could lean into um, kind of just paying attention to that flow. Yeah, and, um, you know, I think for mine covers uh, yeah, at least both of yours and and so i have to change my <laughs> the, the thought that i was going to share um but certainly I, I think the the thing that really really uh, i share mostly was the the very very first thing we started talking about is instinct um and uh, but to transform that more into um trust yourself like you're probably much more capable of handling change than you might imagine mm-hmm. um uh, we've all, every single one of us, uh, as a kind of a, a, a function of, of existing, we've all experienced change and we've all gotten through it. The fact that you're alive today means that you went through change and you were okay. At, 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 at the worst. You know, at best, you thrived and you changed and it was wonderful. So, so you know, go back to that, that instinct, that, that, that trust in yourself that I can handle it. Um, that, you know, not that it will be good or happy or thrilling or wonderful, but I will be okay. Mm-hmm. Right? It's a, f- a fundamental thing. We go back to that trust, right? The in trust in yourself. And even if I cannot handle it, that's also part of life. And that means that that's, and that, that should be also okay or we should build ourselves. But I like what you said. Very, very good point. And for me too, like to take it with me, like, uh, yeah, if I made it so far, for sure I've changed a lot. I mean, I even look at the pictures from 20 years ago or 10 years ago, so for sure. So that means that somehow we manage. And I, I would add also never get too comfortable with life. <laughs> like the find something, going back to Chelsea's uh, question about where it's movement, find something that moves and makes us a little bit distressed, you know, like a bit uh, unsatisfied, a bit discontent. Like cultivate some discontent and some... No, like don't, don't let yourself, don't let your instincts be tamed completely, and don't be lulled into a false sense of security by people saying that you should in enjoy responsibly and be safe all the time. <laughs> 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 Indeed. So, so um, I suppose that that brings us to to the end of our episode today, um, and all all that we have left to to share is, of course, our existential question. So thank you for following along with us today. And we'll just leave you with our existential question. When was the last time that you noticed that you changed?
or that something changed in your life? And, and how did you know? Thank you. Please follow along with us on Facebook and on Instagram at the Existentialist Podcast. Uh, we look forward to hearing from you. Follow us on Instagram at Existentialist Podcast. And let us know your answer to today's existential question. To learn more about us, listen to and learn about other episodes, visit our website at existentialistpodcast.com.